Ferrazzo Zell, ladies and gentlemen. Ferrazzo Zell. Hey, how's it going? Welcome, my brother. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, uh, I'm honored to have you in my home. Um, I'm honored to be at this place. Is you so know, dope. and I, I, I enjoy your friendship. You're such a, a bright light in the comedy world. Um, oh, and uh, I, I'm happy to spend a little time with you. Before Trump gets elected and you're put in some kind of uh, work, prison camp. Somewhere. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. <laughs> I'm, uh, Do you have a backup plan if uh, uh, if Trump gets elected? I shouldn't make jokes about that. We have, we have is, to make jokes about it. Of course, I'm being ridiculous, but... Um, no, I mean, is it that ridiculous? Here's the thing, is I was thinking about that, and especially in light of the terrible you know thing that happened in Orlando, is people now are like, Trump put out something like, I hate being right. Yeah. And then I'm like, first of all, you're not right about anything. Everyone knows radicalized Islamists are a problem. Everyone knows that terrorist threats are a problem. Hillary agrees with that too. So you're not like right. You're not saying something no one else wasn't talking about. And two, people are like, see, this is why we need to ban uh, Muslims. And I'm like, okay, so what if we say let's ban Muslims? And then it happens again. Then what's the next step? All right, well, let's start rounding up the Muslims that are in this country. Okay, and then what are you going to do with them? Ship them away. They're American citizens. All right, let's put them in a camp like Manzanar uh, with the Japanese back in World War II. So it is kind of scary because you're like, are we that far from that train of thought? And the crazy thing is I read some statistic that like something like 62% of Trump supporters think Manzanar, the Japanese internment camps, were a good idea. They still think it was a good idea and not one Japanese spy was found within those camps. Right. And... And they still were like, yeah, but it was probably just best just to be safe. Better George Tataki, the Sulu from Star Trek. Yeah. He was in there when he was a kid. That's right. I yeah. did hear about that. It's a that. big part of his identity now. He talks a lot about it and yeah. how, what a, a black period in American history that was to round up the citizens. Yeah. I read that book, uh, Farewell to Manzanar, in middle school. You ever read that one? No. That one really hit me because I, I didn't even know what it was <laughs> until I read that book in middle school. And it was all about that, about these kids who just... They're Americans. They're no different. They're no different than me, you know. Born here, and they happen to be of Japanese descent. Next thing to know, you're living in this camp, playing baseball. You, the inning ends. You come in, and there's a truck waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, okay, I guess this is where we live now. Do you feel like whenever uh, some uh, radical uh, terrorist act happens, people like turn and look at you? You know, it's so hard to say whether it's happening or it's in my head. But I do think that myself and I would probably guess that most Muslim people, when it happens, feel a sense when they go out or at the, when they go to the airport, we are hyper aware. Like, are people staring at me more? Like, do I deserve it even? Like, it's, it's really kind of screwed up because as an American uh, and with like a Muslim background, you get hit twice, sort of. Because you feel for your your fellow man, you feel for what happened to the people of Orlando or 9-11 or anywhere else where people are getting hurt, and you want to catch these terrorists, and I want them to be brought to justice, and honestly, I'm, I mean, I want them to be, like, killed. Like, I hate them with every fiber of my body. And then the other part of me feels like this shame to be associated with them in any capacity. Like, the fact that, you know my parents were born in a place where maybe some of these people were born or hanging out before they launched some of their plans in some of the cases. You know, it, it you just can't help but feel like 
ugh, like, God damn it, I hate that I'm attached to this in any way, shape, or form. But then because if it's like, then you know that other people might see you that way too. And because you're inextricably linked to that identity in, in some way or another, as a comic, I guess, I have to face it head on. And then so the answer is for, through my comedy a lot of the time is to be like, all right, let's talk about this shit. Let's talk about how I am just American. Let's talk about how I hate these people. Let's talk about how I'm nothing like them, you know? Yeah. And, and also make it make the light of it, but through the laughter, get people to see you as just a normal dude. I have a good friend who's been on this podcast. Um, he's a young comedian. He's, he's Moroccan Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, living, he's from Belgium. Oh, he's, cool. he's Belgian. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's more, he is more pissed off yeah. at the, uh, the, the terrorists in Belgium than, than anybody. You yeah. Know? And then he has to go on stage and perform there. Mm-hmm. Where you know um, people are, you know, they're they're consumed with anger and hatred and prejudice over, uh, yeah, everything that's happened. Yeah, like and it, it, so it links into that, and then in everyday life too, or you know, we travel so much as comics. Like I like to do a little bit of yoga before I get on the plane or stretch. And one day I was really going for it. <laughs> I was like really hitting these stretches and really getting warmed up and I couldn't help but feel like people were looking at me and then I was like this probably looks suspect as hell like people are like what is this brown guy getting so limber for like what is what is he getting ready to do are you trying to get to the cockpit in under 4-5 like what are you doing yeah. so like just the fact that those thoughts are in my head it, I don't like I'm like god I don't want it to be there like I don't want to think about that and I want to give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe no one else is thinking it but me but I don't know especially with all this Trump stuff but you know, uh, and I don't know, as uh, I think I'm um, uh, a pretty good judge of um, uh, just, I don't know how to say this properly without um, uh, sounding like I'm coming on to you, but uh, you are one of the most handsome men <laughs> I know. So so for you to feel these kind of things, it's like, you think people were like, they're in their hatred would look at you and go... Wow, well, he's a pretty good-looking guy. Who's this sexy terrorist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's our hijacker. Uh, right, no. right. Well, thank wow, you. I'd like to be overtaken by him. That's funny. Tell that to my <laughs> tell that to my my last uh, my last agent. <laughs> uh, no, um, your last agent. There was a problem. Oh no, there wasn't. It was so but they're just. I've had conversations with agents in the past where they'll be like, "Well, you're just not like uh, I don't see you." If I, I'm like, "I want to go out for this thing or this role." And they'd be like, oh, well, we just don't see you as like a leading man type, right? And then I'm just like, what is like a leading man type? Generally, like you have to have a certain, what, jawline? I need to look like Gaston? What do I need to do, you know? A certain level of handsomeness or whatever. So then you can't help but feel like, does it have to do purely with race? Like if I was the, if I had my exact look, but I was three shades lighter or four shades lighter, uh, would I there then be more of a leading man type? You know what I mean? In terms of pure frame and everything else? Is it purely because, like I go out for these things sometimes where, it's like nerdy stuff or this and that. And I'll be there with other Pakistani or Indian dudes. And I'm Afghani and Pakistani uh, and part Kashmiri, as we went over earlier. And I'll go out to these things and I'm like three inches taller than everybody. Definitely bench press more than them. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just like, so, you know, I'm not right for those things. So I think that there's still... They're still finding a place for. Wait like, a minute, tall, handsome, and uh, with an athletic build—that's not popular in Hollywood anymore. No, it, <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for more of a dumpy, nerdy kind. Dumpy of guy. nerd. That's the thing is, I think when you look, if they see like a headshot or something, <clears throat> right, or if they want like we need a techie guy 
or we want like a nerdy guy or we need like the uneasy guy. They're used to calling in like the Asians and the Pakistanis and the, the fucking, you know what I mean? Like they're not looking at Johnny football, typical what you think about. So they call in, they look through the headshots and my name and everything and they'll, they'll bring you in with everybody else. But my general essence, you know, like I, I was a linebacker and I was a president of my fraternity and like, I'm like, you know, like I'm not that dude. So when you get called in with a lot of these dudes who are that dude, and a lot of them aren't, but there's a lot that are. Like, I'm in those rooms, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get nerdy tech guy number seven next to this dude who's, like, 115 pounds and, like, literally probably works as tech support. Like, it's just not... Yeah, I don't see you as nerdy tech guy. I yeah, see you so... as leading man uh, hero. I mean, you know, George Clooney struggled for 20 years before he popped and got ER and became a big star and really? everything. You just, I, I think can't imagine you just, George Clooney struggling. So, so delicious looking. Right. So, <laughs> this, is, this is the gayest podcast I've ever done. Yeah, right? So. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. But it's, I, think it's just a, I think it's just a step in Hollywood. I mean, uh, to make it less about me, uh, I think more in terms of just like diversity in Hollywood, I think it's shifting and changing. And I think that, um, you know, this was one of my first pilot seasons getting to go out a lot and getting into all the rooms. And I think they just have to get an idea of who I am and what I'm about. And I'm, I'm confident that in the next round or the next round, like once they know me, then I'll be brought in for stuff that more fits my energy, I guess. And as Hollywood shifts, you know, we're going to see more leading men that are of ethnic roles. And America is going to get used to that. I had one casting director tell me when I came into the room and I talked to him about it, he was like, well, you know, the problem isn't that we don't want to cast ethnically diverse people as leading people. It's that people don't watch shows that don't have ethnic that have ethnic leading people or like movies, movies that have black leading actors or if you put an Asian leading actor, it won't sell well abroad in the international market. And that's what these everybody isn't understanding. And I got what he was saying from an economic standpoint, but then I was like, okay, but when does it become the responsibility of the people at the top to decide, well, get ready because this is what we're going to shove down your throat and this is what the world needs to become. Like, when does it become, uh, when are you going to put your artist hat on as a producer and as a casting associate or whatever and say, yo, let's make this thing because this is where the world should go and people should learn to see everyone this way. I mean, there was a time when black actors weren't putting anything, right? And then Sidney Poitier started getting stuff. Someone had to take that leap of faith and decide that it's time for this shit. So it's interesting when we, people want to, when they want to, uh, you know, talk about the economic incentives. And it, at some point, it has to be more than money when you realize you're shaping the perspectives of the entire world. I think that guy was stuck in 1965. Because <laughs> the next thing I was going to say was the diversity showcases are all the rage in Los Angeles. Right. And what I've, um, I, I have an Indian. Uh, comedian friend and he goes oh I feel bad for you white guys because like the uh, <laughs> I was talking to a casting agent and like they don't even they don't even want to have white guys come in on stuff it's all like diversity is mm -hmm. is the rage now no you're right so um, I, I I would think um, you you would do very well in this updraft it's a good no you're right it's a good time to do it and I just did the CBS diversity showcase <clears throat> this last year and just by chance the week our show was going to go up, that uh, white Oscars thing went down where there's no black actors or right. movies nominated. So white Oscars was trending on Twitter. Diversity in Hollywood was like the hottest story around and our showcase was going up just by chance. So like we had every news network coming through interviewing us. We were all over the news. We were like everywhere. I was on like the front page of the calendar section of the New York of the LA Times with my, some of my cast members. And uh, that hasn't happened necessarily on that level for some of the past showcase people. So... It is changing, and uh, people are, you know, getting ready for, for different things. 
it's weird, like the polarization. There's some people who are so ready for diversity in such powerful ways. And then on the other end, you have the Trump people. And it seems like America is getting more conservative and more closed off and more xenophobic in many ways. Right. Well, that's like where America is now. Like half of the country Mm -hmm. is ready to move forward and like Mm -hmm. change things to make the world better. And other, the other half wants to go backwards and preserve the white power structure and, um, you know, unlimited gun accessibility. It's insane. It's insane. But, you know, you are the new face of America and you are like the most California guy, in my opinion. Uh, you're not just America. You're like very California. I mean, you grew up in Los Gatos, Los Gatos. which is um, near Santa Cruz, Spanish for the cat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> which is uh, <clears throat> one of the most uh, livable, lovely places on the planet Earth. It's great. If you've ever been to uh, Los Gatos, I mean, it's highly educated people mm-hmm. and it's, it's, uh, it's very nice and, uh, and you know, you're, you're, you're smart, you're athletic and, uh, you know, you're not like, um, you know, stepping off of, uh, a boat, a boat, plane, parking with a, you know, yeah. a burlap bag with I know. three items in it. I, <laughs> I used to have a, a bit about how, uh, I felt that like, the reason I even like I when I go to the airport I try to look extra good because I feel like fashion <laughs> fashion is my self defense at this point because that's the main thing separating me from Al Qaeda because terrorists they look like shit you know they don't get like fashion magazines delivered to their caves mail rock <laughs> they don't get all excited once a month like Ahmad the January GQ V necks and skinny jeans on back Habibi you know so I'm like yo check this out my eyebrows are tweezed <clears throat> if I was gonna have a shoe bomb I wouldn't have put on Pradas these shits were expensive so. I definitely feel like that, you know, but ugh, it's just such a complex issue now that I, ugh, I almost am just at a loss of someone asked me, so then what should they do if they shouldn't ban Muslims or should they take away guns or this or that? And I was like, dude, I feel bad for whoever has to come up with a solution because we are in some deep shit right now that the history, but it shouldn't be you know, up to you to defend <laughs> it. You shouldn't have to answer for every yeah. uh, asshole thing. Like when some white religious moron shoots up an abortion clinic in Colorado, people aren't turning to me going, how do you feel that your people have done this? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, yeah, white people you. really have, uh, you know, uh, uh, we get to skate on through no matter what happens. No, thank you. You're right. It's white, we- The white guy shoots up the, the Charleston yeah. uh, church, which that affected me deeply. I, I was really um, blown away by that. The fact that those, terrible. those people could forgive that guy. That you know? was, and I, yeah, I grew up a Christian, so I feel, I realized I was a failure at my own religion that those people could forgive that guy, right? You know, it, I, I, which I, I, I think would be impossible. It is, it is. That was really that whole story was so shocking, and I know Charleston's supposed to be an awesome place where everyone gets along in general. I heard nothing but good easy, things. easy. No? <laughs> I heard, I've heard really good things about Charleston. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's a pretty place. People romanticize it. And every conversation, people was like, one day I want to go to Charleston. And I'm like, what's so good about Charleston? And I've been hearing about it a lot over the last couple of years. And I was like, okay, I want to go there soon. But. So what's your family like? You must be your dad. What? He's got to be like a rocket scientist. And your mom <laughs> is. Um, my, you know. my, uh, my, my family's great. My parents are awesome. Just. I'm super lucky. It's it's just like, 
I think it took me a while to realize how lucky I was and how awesome they are. Like, my dad's so dope and, like, enlightened on a level where I just wonder if he's done mushrooms in the desert, but I know he hasn't, <laughs> and I don't fucking get it. I'm like, how are you, like, how do you just get it, like, naturally? So, like, he, uh... I mean, first of all, how could you afford to live in Los Gatos? I mean, oh, that's... Well, my dad... That's, was, like, the, I wouldn't say 1%, but that's the... It's the top five. They're doing. Percent. He's done a good job. <laughs> um, uh, no, my dad. It's it's a cool story. You know, it's a classic American story. It's what this is all about. You know, and they, he came here when he was eighteen. Uh, from Pakistan. From Pakistan. Uh, the oldest of like five siblings. And, and he went straight to Los Gatos. No, he, he went to Fresno State. Okay. He went to Fresno State to study engineering, along with some of his good friends. And they had their own little Pakistani community. A bunch of kids just living in. I'm talking like eight to ten dudes living in a one-bedroom apartment. I'm talking sleeping bags on the floor. This is how they lived. Wow. And no TV. In they, Fresno. In Fresno. And they went, they had to go next door to watch the first space launch because one of their neighbors had a TV. And none of them, even eight of them in the house couldn't afford to have a TV or cable or anything like that. So they watched the space <clears> launch in that, in that house and they all kind of took care of each other. And uh, they all worked full-time while going to school as engineers they all got pretty much were at the top of their class they all ended up essentially being some of the biggest engineers that played a part in building silicon valley into what it is and almost all of those guys are like worth a lot of money now and they were all sleeping on floors like eight of them in a one-bedroom apartment and my dad was an engineer but he decided he didn't like engineering um, and this is how I feel like I have my, a lot of my dad and my mom both in me. I'll get to my mom in a second. But like he always said, I don't want to just, I never wanted to just work in a cubicle, just talking to a computer all day. I wanted to like help people and do something. So he, after already having a super like solid career going towards engineering, quit and went to law school. And then he became a lawyer and then he started a law firm in uh, San Jose. And so that's what he does. He's been a lawyer for about what which kind of law? Years. Uh, he's a sort of specialist in bankruptcy law, and uh, he also has like a specialization in like uh, estate planning and wills and trusts and deeds. And he's done some immigration, and you know he's been practicing for like forty years. And uh, what he really likes about it is trying to go out of his way to like help people who are dealing with different sort of legal issues, be it immigration, trying to kick them out, or bankruptcy and creditors all over their case. Like that's what he always liked about it. Um, and that's what he he always told even when he he never told me to chase money, which I think was very different than a lot or success necessarily by financial or materialistic um, standards. He always told me to ch chase what you're passionate about and what you love. And uh, I don't think he knew that all that whispering in my ear would lead to me doing comedy. <laughs> he might have rethought the advice. No, but he was always like, just do what you love and work your heart ass off at it because you love it, and you'll be one of the best at it. And if you're one of the best at anything, money will come and you'll be okay. You know, and so he was always like that. And then my mom was very artistic, actually. My mom was uh, in all the plays in Pakistan and was like the lead actress in all of her college plays and was in a Pakistani magazine uh, as the ranked as like the number one college student uh, in Pakistan. She had like the highest grades and was the lead and everything and stuff like that. And this is the thing. People always be like, oh, women are held down. In Pakistan, or women can't do this and that, or women can't speak. People don't know what the hell they're talking about. Like, right, that's just what I was thinking was that like goes against people's perception of mm -hmm. like Pakistan being just like this backwater, ancient, <laughs> yeah. uh, barbaric place. Exactly, because people think talk about the shit that happens in Pakistan. 
Uh, and they act like that's everybody there or that's the mainstream culture of the country. Like, they're like, oh, well, women are d- done this and that and they, like, rape is okay. And I've heard the craziest things and I'm like, where, what? That's not a thing at all. That'd be like if you went to the backwoods of Mississippi and you found, like, a high school that still has, like, a segregated prom and you were like, America still doesn't let black people and white people go to the same dances. And it's like, no, motherfucker, you're in Mississippi where Earl's, the last thing Earl's read is the back of a Cheetos bag. Like, there's, it's not America necessarily, you know, so... In Pakistan, she was, like, doing all this stuff, and um, she had, like, record deals and, like, movie, like, all kinds of deals from entertainment people because she could sing, like, professional-level singer, too, like, super talented. Um, but then she just moved to the U.S., got married, and then didn't end up following through with that, you know? Um, so I think that because she didn't end up following through with that, I think that when she sees me in this art- artistic endeavor, she's like, okay, you got that for me. Like, you know, and she, like, kind of... Even when she's like, they were worried for me when I was first starting out and before I was doing it on the level that I'm doing it now, they're worried. But she was always had a sense of pride, I think, and thought it was cool. Like, okay, you got all that artistic stuff for me. Like, kind of like, you know, rooting for me to do it. Right. And, and go get it because she knows what that's like to want it and not fully go for it. So together, they both have really shaped uh, everything that I am. Has she given you any advice for showbiz or just you're on your own? She gives me advice for when I do cultural shows, because I, I have my normal stand-up set, right, that I do in comedy clubs <clears throat> all over the country. And com- Pandering to the white people. Pandering to the white people. I'm kidding. No, being me. <laughs> I go to the brown shows, I'm pandering to the brown people. I have to, like, I have to talk to my mom and dad to figure out what, what is okay. My, my barometer of what is culturally appropriate and socially appropriate or what references they will get is so off. Because I am so fucking Californian that I have to run everything by them and get advice and wonder if they'll get this joke and and ask if they'll get this reference. And so my mom will always help me kind of shape my jokes and my sets because I have a totally different hour that I do for Brown events. Like I'll go in and out of Punjabi and Urdu and Hindi and like I'll do like some funny songs and stuff and then I'll do my my normal stand-up doesn't have any of that, you know. But it's it's cool though. I like it because I get to explore this complete other part of connecting with people of my background and talking about, you know, our idiosyncrasies and stuff we've all dealt with growing up that other people won't get. Uh, so she's definitely been really helpful. Like what? What did you deal with growing up that other people wouldn't get? You know, maybe first, maybe like anyone with immigrant parents, I think, has a certain common thread. But for example, uh, I have this bit about when you're trying to call your, when you're trying to call your parents, uh, your grandparents back in Pakistan before there was WhatsApp and stuff like kids nowadays have WhatsApp so they're all sharing pictures and they can be connected right. with their cousins and grandparents and they don't know what it was like when I was like 10 years old you try to talk to your grandparents the whole conversation was just like hello 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 yes hello hello like yeah I hear you hello like the whole conversation was trying to figure out if you can hear each other <laughs> and then once it was established you can hear each other they'd be like okay you're good yeah I'm good okay talk to your uncle Uncle goes, hello, hello, hello. And it's just the same shit all over again. And the phone would just go around the room and you're just trying to say hi, basically. And that's the most you could hope for. And then you try to piece together parts of the conversation. It's like playing a game of Clue. You're like, what did she say? I don't know. But I think it was Colonel Mustard in the living room with a candlestick. Funny. My mom is from Argentina. Oh, yeah? And so we'll call relatives back in Argentina. And for some reason, um, they... Don't understand. They, they think they have to yell <laughs> in, yeah. in order to be heard. Can you hear me? Like, oh, yes, I can hear you. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> good technology now. Yeah, your your whole family is from Argentina. Or? No, just my mother. Your mom's from yeah. Argentina. Yeah, and then her um, family emigrated to. I love immigrant stories. Yeah, you know, and how people left somewhere mm-hmm. um, and then had to start a life because uh, there was no Argentine community. Yeah, um, they came to America when my mom was fourteen. My mom didn't speak English. Uh, she learned how to speak English from movies and television. Mm-hmm. And then she um, met my father in high school. And, uh, my parents are from Anacostia. What's that? <laughs> uh, which is now the blackest ghetto of Washington, D.C. Okay. And so when, I, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in D.C. and I'll, I'll talk to people from D.C. and I'll tell them that my parents um, are from Anacostia, they'll like, well, get the fuck out of here. Right. And I was actually born in Southeast Washington, D.C., which is, you know, pretty... Uh, pretty hood. Pretty hood. Because D.C. is like that, where... That's where I, I get my blackness, baby. Yeah, I can, I can see it, dude. It's uh, right there next to your Fleetwood Mac vinyl, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where your blackness is. I'm so glad of all the vinyl, that's the one that's... That's the one that's sticking out? And can you see the, the uh, uh, um, Winston Churchill <laughs> yeah, speeches? Yeah, your blackness is sandwiched between your Winston Churchill speeches <laughs> and your Fleetwood Mac rumors vinyl. <laughs> that's great. <clears throat> no, but yeah, D.C. is... I lived in D.C. for a little bit. Really? Mm-hmm. During in college, I was uh, working for sh- I interned for Schwarzenegger's office in DC. Are you serious? Yeah, I, w- I was about to go on this whole political. You're like, wow, thing. he spends a lot of time with that maid. <laughs> yeah, I was like Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> really? Uh, yeah. You worked for Schwar- Schwarzenegger? Yeah, I did, and uh, I was working on in the environmental uh, sector like stuff. I was working on a clean energy and security act, uh, like following what the. California Assemblyman and Senators positions were on it, analyzing it, writing breakthrough breakdowns about it, and sending it all the way up to his desk sometimes. Because I was going to go into law and politics. I got into law school uh, out of college, and I got in. I got recruited by and accepted into the CIA. Also, wow, yeah, out of college. So that was one trajectory that my life could have gone. Um, you could have stopped the Orlando shooting, but you wanted to show business. Yep, look what it's all my fault. I'm sorry, that's a terrible, terrible joke. Thing. Uh, <clears throat> what do you think about now? the American political system? Because my uh, mm-hmm. Dutch European wife, mm-hmm. we've been talking a lot about it, and yeah. because we just voted in the primaries, right. it's the first time Ashna got to vote oh. in America. Good, that's and awesome. so we looked up what the delegates uh, system is. Yeah, and it turns out that um, unless it is a landslide, our votes are pretty much meaningless. Right. Because if it's not a landslide for one candidate, then the delegates get to decide. And how do these delegates get picked? By us? Do we elect our delegates? We don't elect our delegates. They're chosen by the party. The party picks the delegates. Yeah. But we elect the party members that get to pick the delegates. Yeah. So I think that what we're dealing with is we... This election term has opened people's eyes into the level at which we are operating... Operating further and further away from direct democracy in any capacity, right? Direct democracy would be every single person has a vote, which I think it will get to one day. I think one day it'll be something like we just vote on Twitter. Like every single person can just go hashtag Sanders, boom, did my vote. And then we can tally it up with an algorithm. It's outdated. We don't need to go, we don't need to elect one dude to talk about everything and allow him to elect eight other dudes. It's because then it turns into that game of like telephone, right? Where you tell someone one thing, and eight people later you're like, "Wait, that's not what the fuck I said." Right. And that's what's happening with these delegates, right? Because we're like, "Okay, 
well, I, I like, they're saying it is democracy because you chose person X and person X chose people Y and Z. So though you didn't choose person Y and Y chose Z, you chose X, X chose Y, Y chose Z. So therefore you chose Z through the three person telephone game. And it's, we've, we've learned through this that we're like, no, wait a minute. My values are not being transferred correctly or appropriately. Right. We have, and then the, only the Democrats have super delegates. And so, uh, the, the, the parties both ensure basically who represents the party. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Trump kind of hijacked the Republican Party, but did he? Right. Did he? Uh, I, 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 he wouldn't be there if, uh, if the Republicans... The delegates weren't did, playing ball. Right. You know... Because you know, the delegates what? chose him. He's, he's going to represent the party in the election. So Yeah. So uh, it's not really the... Um, yeah, you know, um, mutiny uh, that that it's portrayed to be, which is scarier, which is scarier that it's in line with the party's beliefs and the people's beliefs. Because here's the thing, though. But also in, I don't want to say defense of Trump, but to make sense of the phenomenon in another light. What was his real competition? Like people act like Ted Cruz. Oh, maybe there was a moment where people were like, oh god, I hope Ted Cruz pulls it off. I yeah. was like, fuck that. Like Ted Cruz over Trump. That's like saying, like. I hope he gets salmonella over herpes. Like, either way, that, <laughs> that shit's going to suck. Like, the shit Ted Cruz was saying was equally insane and scarier because he, like, believed it on a deeper level. Like, Trump says a lot of shit, and I, I know he's putting on a show, and he knows what he's doing, and it's still wrong, and he's I think he's fucking weird as hell and crazy in a lot of ways, too. But Ted Cruz is a career politician that had everything wrong with him in terms of the establishment and uh, lobbying groups and special interest groups running his whole agenda. And then on top of that, he was way more conservative and backwards than Trump in a lot of ways. Like Trump is more xenophobic and fascist, but Ted Cruz is more like anti-gay and anti-women's like like women's rights and like scarier in a lot of other ways. So people are like, I can't believe Trump won. I'm like, are you fucking, look at his competition. Who's going to beat him? Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, who's like that, looks like that kid who brought a stapler to school. Like, it ain't glue in the corner. Like, he had no real competition. If any of the other candidates, like, if Ted Cruz was a candidate eight years ago, that motherfucker wouldn't have made it to the top, like, ten. People would have been like, this guy's out of his mind. No one's bringing this guy to the table. So, of course, Trump, like, there was nothing. There was nothing there. Yeah, I mean it's the the last grasp of um, uh, uh, white people hanging on to uh, <laughs> the old system of America, and it's all like white fear. Yeah, the guys um, stirring up, you know. Dude, it's it, it's it's sad, and I empathize <clears throat> with them because the problem behind these problems are linked to the problems with Middle Eastern terrorism. They all have to do with ignorance. They all have to do with a lack of education. And America, parts of America are being left behind. And it's, it's sad. And the, a lot of those parts are southern regions and are, are areas where there are a lot of lower middle class people and a lot of Republicans in the backwoods and like the places that I was shitting on earlier. But it's sad because what's happening is we are progressing at such a level and uh, becoming progressive and becoming more educated in many states and in many areas, and you'll find that in the places with higher levels of education per capita uh, have more progressive and liberal ideals. It's, it's factually, statistically right. So what's happening is we're moving away, and these people are being left behind. They're like 
they're like the backwoods parts of Pakistan I was talking about that are still doing weird, crazy tribal shit. They're our version of that within the United States. Right. And we're looking at them and we look down on them and we talk shit about them. But the truth is something needs to be done to expand education to these areas and help them catch up. And the problem is that they're not catching up and they're being lied to by all these politicians the whole time and tricked with these sort of playing off their ignorances and being tricked with these xenophobic agendas and racist agendas to make them think that like, we just need to get back to the good old days. And it's like, no, motherfucker, they're tricking you and they're going to keep not taxing the rich and they're going to keep your, you're not going to get your job still. And they're going to make you think it's the immigration problem, which hasn't increased, which has gone down since Obama's been president. You know that between George Bush's era, the uh, level of illegal immigrants went from 7 million to 12 million. 7 million to 12 million from Obama, in Obama's eight years, the level of illegal immigrants has gone from 12 million to 11.4 million. It has decreased. They don't fucking know that, but they want to go, jobs are gone, Mexicans, right, you know, because yeah. they're being lied to. So if something could be done to empathize with them and help them and bring them in, like <clears throat> that would lead to the healing of America and fixing the fucking problems. But when we look at them and we look at people and we go, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're racist, you come at someone with that level of heat. They go on the defensive, and then they go, fuck you, I'm not racist, I'm not dumb. Ah, and then now it's not a discussion, now it's a fight. And that's where we are right now. So both sides have this, this, this guck on their hands that they need to wash off to actually fix the fucking country. Right, keep us afraid and fighting each other and divided. Mm-hmm. And the rich people uh, pay minimal taxes. The tax burden is on the middle class, mm-hmm. and we're not... That is never even an issue. It's the immigrants and the, yes. you know, we got to fight the Muslims, tra- you know, uh, <laughs> radicals. And um, it's it's really fucked up. It is. It's exa- You nailed it. They're, it's, they're keeping the real issue off <clears throat> the social and political agenda uh, or to-do list. And as long as it's, it's not, not... It's not the illegal Mexican immigrants that took your job. It's the rich corporate power structure that outsourced all the fucking jobs yeah it's not this guy coming to clean bathrooms yeah. uh, at a gas station along the highway you know what else exactly <laughs> yeah were you gonna do that goddamn immigrant yeah right or you know who took your jobs the people who didn't put enough money into your local high school education to create a successful feeder program into a successful university and to make the local university affordable so you could actually go and get a better job that's like, one thing that that's, that's another happening. thing we were fucked on in America is yeah. uh, I'm old enough to remember when there was no lotteries in the United States and the way the lottery was sold state by state to the American people uh-huh. was that the money would go to education that all this money would be raised to uh, and uh, and it would go to to schools and and education really uh, because all the religious freaks were worried. That gambling was gonna bring vice and uh-huh. and uh, sin and um, and uh, bad elements to society. Right. Uh, so it was sold to the people that it would uh, the funding would go to education. And now the schools have never been broker, mm-hmm. and lotteries are everywhere, and no one remembers that. But people who are over forty. Yeah, it's it's true. <clears throat> it's it's just about who had. America itself is an interesting... But the dumber you are, the better you serve capitalism. <laughs> exactly. So maybe they don't want to educate us. Uh, you're probably right. Look at what, look at what a problem But how am I going to serve capitalism if there's no fucking jobs to make shit? <laughs> uh, 
You got me. And that's the thing. See, America is an experiment, man. This is an epiphany I had the other day. Um, the United States of America, we were the youngest country that's risen to power, man. We're like fucking James Dean of countries. Came out of the cuts. Boom, skyrocketing up. But are we going to, is this stable? Are we going to last? Is this, is this idea of a foundation of greed, that being the cornerstone of what we think is are making... Are going to die our, in a car crash? Are going to fucking Salinas? crash and burn, dude? Is there going to be a civil war? Yeah, exactly. Is there going to be a civil war part two? Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, we are built on a foundation and, and with two very polarized sides that is not conducive to unity and longevity. And something needs to change for the good of the country. And the fact, the sooner people wake up to that, you know, that could be the first step. And I, but I feel like a lot of people are waking up. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be like negative or one of the, I try not to be one of these doomsday prepper type dudes. It's like every day the world's going to hell in a handbasket, man. But like shit's bad. But at the same time, like, especially when you look at like the younger generations and stuff, ideas of love and vulnerability and coming together and the connection between your fellow man and the need to help people all over the world and globalization growing exponentially through social media, people feeling connected to the crises and the, the problems abroad, that is growing on a very, very, very mass scale. So I think that, you know, out with the old and with the new, if we can just make it long enough to not destroy everything in the next hundred years, I think that there could be some really good changes and it, it could be you know, much prettier place. Well, we have to change things. And I, I never realized, <clears throat> I never realized that my vote meant uh, nothing unless it's a landslide. And then also, Ashin and I, in the last couple nights, we've been watching this, um, uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Right. This right. little miniseries. Yeah, with Kuma. And it's fantastic. And so they're showing the, the jury selection. And so she keeps turning to me going, is that really how it is? Because they're like, they're stacking the deck on the jury, trying to get as many black people as they can so they can uh, work the race angle right. to get OJ off, even though he never, uh, you know, mm -hmm. did anything for the black community after he right. became Mr. Rich uh, Famous Guy. Mm -hmm. And she keeps turning to me going, is that how they do it in America? And I'm like, yeah. So, like, uh, if you're rich... You can get away with anything. As I know, my father was killed by a drunk driver who was a, 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 a rich guy who, through legal maneuverings, got off with a light probation. So, uh, and, and OJ obviously got away with murder. Uh, so it's even our, our, our voting system isn't legitimate and our legal system, which I've always thought, you know, because I was brainwashed into thinking mm -hmm. that... Uh, we've got the best legal system in the world. Well, right. um, yeah, if you're rich and you've, yeah. you know, want to get off on totally. I mean, it, it, some bad shit you've done. It's great. It is. It's. <clears throat> it's. If you're a regular person with no money, good luck. And you can't work the system. It's not such a good deal. And if you're a minority, you know, plenty of uh, statistics show that if you're a black male that's done the same crime as a white male, you're like a lot more likely to end up with a prison sentence that is a lot longer. Like, these are facts. Yeah, you know? and like you're much more likely to be shot by a, a cop. Yeah, that too, and that sucks. Also a fact. Also a fact. Like, it happened with that Stanford swimmer uh, rape case that's all over everything. Right and now, now, how's that possible in California? Yeah. Especially, uh, I mean, you know, uh, 
you know, the Bay Area and high intelligence Very Stanford liberal. University. Yeah, like uh, annoying, the, annoyingly liberal. You know, <laughs> California is the home of uh, political correctness in, in the world's eyes. Mm-hmm. And then you would think uh, Stanford University is, would be the, the focal point of, of uh, do-gooding political correct people. How, yeah. How's this rich I white know. little asshole just getting get on. off with three months in jail for raping an unconscious woman behind a dumpster? Oh, God, just that sentence is so awful. Yeah. Like, that's just so gross on so many different levels. And they keep emphasizing, they kept emphasizing in the trial that he wanted to uh, be an Olympic mm-hmm. swimmer. You know, yeah, I wanted to be a major league baseball player when I was eleven. Yeah, like who? You I don't know? give a I mean, fuck what he wanted to yeah. do. What does that have to I'm do? I'm sure with... that girl wanted to do a lot of things. Yeah, I'm sure that girl didn't want to get banged behind the back of a dumpster while she was taking a nap. Like, what? Because yeah. they talked about this black dude who was a football <clears throat> star at Vanderbilt um, a couple of years back, and he was. They went case by side by side, you know, and it was like same shit. He like raped a girl or whatever, and he was a football star, and he and he was same age. And he went to jail for 15 years. He got a 15-year sentence. And this kid got like six months or something, dude. And I'm, I I hate looking at those videos and acting like it's the same shit because, you know, I hate being the guy that just looks at a video and is like, clearly it's the same thing. But from what I saw, it looked similar. I didn't dive into the legislation. But like that alone, I mean, how different could it be that 15 years versus six months other than he's just a black dude? And like, if you look at the numbers themselves, see the problem. Going back to everything else, it's it's all about special interest groups and the money that is running the country. Like I was saying, America is like a America is, a, is an experiment of a nation where they said, let's just see what happens if we allow money to run rampant, and that kind of influences everything. And people's desire for money, we allow that to run free, and everyone from all over the world who wants money the most and wants their life to be about money comes here to make money. So America is like a business that all the greediest people in the world have an investment in. Everybody in the, America isn't for Americans. It is an immigrant country. It's for anyone who wants to make money to leave their place in France or wherever else where there's caps and taxation on a higher level to come here and bring your talent and bring your shit and build an empire. That's what this place is. So is it going to stand the test of time? We don't know. Like it's, it's, it's weird. And right now the way things are going, like with the money and everything, like so the prison system has money in it, right? The, it's a private institution. Yeah. There's judges who are investors? To, yeah, they in have they prisons. have to keep the prisons full to make the money. Yeah, and then you got Halliburton, <laughs> defense contractors, military industrial complex. War is a private business. We have the vice president Dick Cheney, who's on the board of, or whatever of Halliburton, deciding when we go to war, putting money in his pockets. You got judges deciding who goes to jail, putting money in their pockets. You got politicians. With going hand in hand with war contract defense contractors putting money in their pockets when you go to war, and that trickles down to everything, to education, to pharmaceuticals. We're the only country where generic pharmaceuticals aren't even allowed to hit the market before five or six years. That the more expensive private businesses get to rape the masses and send a big fuck you to poor people that can't afford the right medicine. Like in every single sector across the board. Money is what's dominating the whole thing. And that's why we talk about gun control. We talk about immigration. We talk about everything else. Those are all band-aids on the real fucking problem. The real problem is getting money out of the institutions so we can do something that's right for the people of the country. And once people see that, that's when shit will actually start to change. Yeah. Um, You know, those Panama papers that came out, 
Mm -hmm. And they were talking. Uh, they were talking about the biggest tax havens in the world, mm -hmm. and like every, you know, I was talking with my mom about it yesterday, and she's like, "Yeah, and it's, it's like Switzerland and all these places people put their money. Uh, the biggest tax havens in the world are right here in the United States, really, Delaware, Wyoming, and Nevada. So if you're some rich guy in uh, around the world and you want to start some shell corporation with, without any." Um, taxation in your own country uh -huh. uh, and your name not tied to it you just take a little trip to to, to wyoming delaware nevada. nevada you don't have to go to the cayman islands or switzerland that's crazy i didn't go as deep into the panama papers as everyone else did i guess so i'm not as well read on that stuff but that's so People start the businesses in those areas and then what? They don't have to pay taxes on it or whatever? You don't have to have your name connected to it. A, a shell company which um, it's not registered in your home country that might have, um, you know, like France or high okay. percentage. Okay, so you don't have taxation. to pay that national sort of federal tax on it or whatever. Yeah, and you okay. can pay minimal taxes in these places. That is crazy, dude. That's crazy that that's a thing. <laughs> Welcome back, Smoochie. Yeah, I did. You did it. <laughs> it was hard that I had all that ice cream. <laughs> Working it off the yeah. chocolate chip ice cream. So now you got all the guilt off, though. You know, when you eat, when you eat something, you're like, all right, I got to go work this off. But then you come back, you're like, all right, good, I can have another one. <laughs> we were just talking about how perfect the American system is and what a great country it is. He was saying about how you feel you feel that the system here is the best in the world. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just looking how uh, how it all works with the Congress, how we, how the members are selected. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, it's a Congress decision, right? Uh-huh. Uh, to have guns or not. Right. Illegal, so. Yeah. I was just wondering, how can I elect another Congress? Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're like, you in the last like two weeks of reading about how stuff is done, you already are in the top 1% of informed <laughs> Americans. <laughs> Uh, you probably more honestly know more than ninety nine percent of Americans know about the legal system, the delegacy election <laughs> system. It's crazy. Wow. Are you liking what you're reading, or is it or is it alarming? It's too complicated. I think it's too complicated. I think a lot of people don't want to read it because yeah. the system is weird. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's all these different or complicated things. It's all necessary. Yeah. I wish it was just random, random members in the Congress. Random. Yeah, option is very unlike. Uh, most Americans and that she, she'll ask a question of me like, you know, why are the gun laws like this and, and who uh, decides on this ultimately? And then she'll look up the information and read as much as she can on the topics. What a concept. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and getting involved. She is a well-informed electorate. Yeah. That's funny. Like, the gun stuff is just crazy to me, dude. Like, it's crazy to me that we're going to be like, let's ban, let's ban certain peoples before we stop uh, assault rifles from being purchased by the right. one FBI watch list. Like, at what point can we just agree that that's... Okay, at what... I would just... Out of an NRA person's mouth or a gun enthusiast's mouth, what sentence can I get you to agree with? Can I get you to agree with the idea that if someone is on an FBI watch list, they should not be allowed to buy an assault rifle? True or false? Would these motherfuckers still go, nah, let him buy his guns, he's entitled to his guns? Like, right. what, when... When can we say <clears throat> some level of guns does not fall into the right to bear arms, and especially for some people that are out of their minds. Well, I, I guess nothing's going to change until somebody takes a, an AR-15 into, like, Capitol buildings or Congress. I mean, 
when will it affect these um, these you know protected assholes right. who uh, just profit from the system? The NRA funds their campaigns, and they refuse to make any kind of change whatsoever. Yeah. It, I, it's just so fun. I was thinking about it today, like the right to bear arms. You know, it's so vague, and to draw the conclusion, like. And then for people to make the <clears throat> argument that it's so we can protect ourselves from the government. I was like, bitch, they got drones now. They got Apache helicopters. What? They got shit you don't even know exists. Like, what do you think you're going to do with your battle rifle? Like, what are you going to do, man? Like, and also, like, the amount of times people have had in the last hundred years, <laughs> how many people have had to take on the government? How many cases have happened in the last hundred years where guns have been used legitimately and with something society has agreed was a just cause against the government like zero you want to talk about yeah. what you want I to mean, talk about you know the, it was ruby ridge in idaho in the 80s that was a racist guy and i i think he was somewhat of a threat and then the waco texas thing yeah he was uh, in his own little religious compound they they said he was um molesting children was how they went in yeah. um but yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a thin argument. The, yeah. the 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 Second Amendment in the Constitution says um, a well-regulated militia, and that doesn't mean any asshole can do whatever he wants. Yeah. So I don't know why that those words "well-regulated" That's aren't a, yeah. uh, more focused on. It's you know. That's what they want to focus. It's because if you look at the times guns have been used, we can cite all these mass shootings. We can cite all the cops that have been killed. We could say from from Columbine to Orlando, every time that's on the list of times guns have been used in a terrible way with mass shootings. You want to talk about the times it has been used against the government? We got Waco, Texas, motherfucker was out of his mind. You got the Idaho thing, dude in the eighties, dude was out of his mind. You got Dick Cheney shooting that old dude in the face with a shotgun. Yeah. You got that dude killing John F. Kennedy, Oswald, all the way back to Lincoln. That's when the gets been used against the government. The times it's been used against the government, we were all like, who the fuck? These motherfuckers shouldn't have guns. If your reason for having a gun is because you're sitting in your basement hoping that you're like, well, I got it just in case I got to take on the government. You're the last dude I want to have a gun. Like, if that's what's going on in your brain, like, that's why, you, that's why you've got guns in your house. That's, if you go to someone's house and that's his reason for having a gun, you should be like, yeah, you're denied, dude. This shit is scary. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's... Uh... There's always there's always been some form of um, of gun control. Uh, I did a knowledge nugget about it. One was uh, they wouldn't let um, um, uh, freed slaves have guns, and uh, there were other instances. Do you think that we'll ever get to the point where we limit guns <clears throat> significantly to the point where people just have like six shooters? Or a bur- yeah, I don't know. Or a I mean, I, I think handguns and and rifles are okay. I think. You know, I, I, it's always they won't budge on the thing. So I've, I, I've worked on this joke where we should at least limit the number of bullets that go in the magazine clip mm-hmm. that go in the machine gun. Mm-hmm. Um, all I ask from my government is the chance to tackle my executioner should he happen to reload. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm making a joke. Of right. course, I think machine guns, no one should have a machine gun. Yeah. It's just common sense. You shouldn't have a bazooka. Yeah. You know what? Um, I want to develop a nuclear warhead if you're some 
you know, if you were an evil Elon Musk, you could you could you could do that based on these laws. He could do that, and then he could maybe. Oh nope, my right to bear fucking bombs. nuclear weapons. Yeah, it's arms because it's it has to be, it has to be reciprocally uh, reciprocal to what the government has, so I can take on the government. Elon, if Elon Musk wanted to, he could be like Lex Luthor, you know? Like, yeah, uh, the could, evil Bond. Yeah, villain. yeah, he could like really create some crazy, crazy <laughs> shit. I think the whole argument is is flawed, and like that's why Jim Jeffries has that great bit about like just say I like guns, like that's all it is. You just like guns, dude, and I get it. But come on, there's a there's a time where a time and a place. I think that like there should be certain regulations for certain tests to see if you deserve a gun. Like if you come to get a gun, can't we just agree there should be certain things to show you're not crazy? Like a psychiatric evaluation, a note from a doctor. You need a note from a doctor to play football. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like doctors touching my nuts just so I can go play football in high school I, nothing happens for me to go to, you should also bring proof that you've had sex in the last two years <laughs> like there should be some proof of sex ever because if you're 30 years old and you're pissed off and like some dude comes in and he's never done it I'm like yo this guy's got way too much inside of him if you have a history of violence you know yeah. that guy that did the Orlando shooting had beaten his wife and um, she had gotten out I don't know I, I think violent people yeah um, shouldn't I mean you know protecting your house is one thing but um of yeah. course, yeah. That's the thing. Is like I'm, I'm, I'm more like nonpartisan, independent. I don't like party umbrellas at all because there's plenty of stuff that liberals and Democrats say that I say think is stupid. There's plenty. Of, there's more stuff that Republicans say that I think is ridiculous. But I think that you can go back and forth on different things and look at them independently and and, and value, you know, judge the merit of them. Like I can understand people wanting like a a, a a gun, a small gun for protection in their house against intruders or something like that. Um, especially, you know, a lot of people don't realize people who live out in the sticks or people who live far away in these rural areas, if someone comes for your stuff, cops and whatnot, no neighbors, no one's around to help you for a while. Yeah. So it is just you and your stuff um, and your family. So I can understand you wanting some small gun to take care of yourself. But once it gets to the level where you want some shit that's firing off 100 rounds in a short amount of time, you lost You lost me. Yeah. Yeah. Or taking on the or taking on the government. Also, if you're a gun owner, wouldn't you want there to be stronger like regulations so that these idiots don't s- stop giving a bad name to the shit you like? You know, like if whatever town you're from, like or whatever you're whatever you were into. Like if I don't know, like yeah, no, people say they need it. Uh, it's their tradition of hunting. You don't, you don't, you know, you're not going to hunt with a machine gun and thousands of bullets. You're not going to eat an animal that's. Uh, and, you know, uh-huh. been decimated with thousands of bullets. <laughs> right. It'd be like if someone was misusing things. Like, uh, like I play guitar. Let's see if this turns into a decent analogy or not. I don't know. I haven't thought this out yet. I'm just starting. <laughs> so I play guitar. The, 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 the right to shred. The right to shred, right? And then what if, yeah, and then what if, like, and there became this epidemic that every t- everybody who, a bunch of people who were buying guitars just started plugging in amps into subways and just shredding terribly without one lesson even. And they were playing the most god off. They were playing either, they, they knew to play nothing but Creed. Okay, so they were playing the worst thing. <laughs> they, were, they were playing the worst thing you ever heard in a subway. And every time you'd see a guy with a guitar now, you're like, fuck, is this one of those assholes that's gonna play Creed in the subway? And all of a sudden they're giving a bad name to people who play guitars. I would be like, yo, can we check if people like Creed or not before we sell them guitars? Because I'm tired of people seeing me with my guitar and assuming I'm one of these fucking weirdos. Like, at some point, you should worry about how it's reflecting upon you and your hobby as a responsible user of that product. That makes sense to me. Like, I don't want to be associated with this fucking weirdo. I like it. It's a good analogy. <laughs> it worked. 
What was your impression of, of working in Washington and the American government? Um, that's what made me decide to do stand-up instead of politics. Yeah, because I started stand-up when I was 19, so I was already doing stand-up recreationally just for fun when I was in college. Um, but very, very rarely, you know. But then I was still geared towards politics <clears throat> and law. And I was in Washington, and I started to just see the circus. I started to just see what, just what bullshit it was. It's just... It, you know, you, I wanted to go into it with some idea that you can change things or change the system or do something, and it just seemed like such a stupid uphill battle and to play within those rules that I was like, yo, this is not for me. Like, everything everyone was saying was clearly for some other agenda, but they were wrapping it in a package that was more sellable to the masses or wrapping it in a package that the other side would not be able to argue with because of how it would sound to argue with that thing, right? You make it about veterans, you make it about hardworking American families, you make it about protecting these peoples, but it's all about some other special interest and it's all about securing votes. Even on the even on the left even on the left side and liberal side, a lot of stuff they try to make it about Latinos or make it about these other groups or blah blah blah. But it was actually I could tell it was actually about getting more people into the party or more people that would give you more votes because they tend to vote Democrat. But you're going to say it's about these people because if the other side argues about that, now they sound racist. And and then on the right, it was tons of other things. You know, it's about protecting these American families, blah blah blah. No, it's just about you selling your guns or it's just about you wanting to keep keep the coal industry happy uh and you're saying it's about the jobs of these blah 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 blah, because you can't argue with you taking away jobs from hard-working american families but i can argue with you about putting billions of dollars in the coal industry's pockets when the whole entire infrastructure is outdated and destroying the planet so everywhere i looked i was like this is just a bunch of horse shit and it's a bunch of people just lying and they know they're all lying and they're doing this lying jujitsu with each other just trying to get their stuff passed to put money in the people's pockets that are putting money in their campaigns to keep them all in power. And I was just like, fuck this. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. You killing, kidding me? Yeah. I don't know, but I'm, I'm, that's why stand-up is, uh, stand-up is the truth, you know? This is where it's at. This is what it's, this is what I want my life to be about. Like, I don't want to be, if you can't change the system through the, the nitty-gritty shit, I think it has to start with thought. So hopefully on this journey and as I grow and whatever form I evolve into, I hope to do something on a level where I really, really wake people up and get people thinking about the real shit and cause people to look around them and realize what needs to be done. Well, I, th- I thought we were moving to a more enlightened society and then the rise of Donald Trump <laughs> yeah, came out of this left year uh, makes, me, makes me doubt our human evolution. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, I think that there's a boiling point, right? Yin and yang as the, the bright side. I Really, this whole election is, like, I've seen so many, like, it's such a symbol of Star Wars. Like, it's like we're in Star Wars. Like, it's so Jedi versus Sith right now. <laughs> and Donald Trump even looks like Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> like, if that motherfucker put a hood on and just, like, put a little white face on, he would look like Emperor Palpatine, dude. And even some of the stuff he says sounds like stuff Senator Palpatine would say. And it's like, I think that as the, the light side grows brighter and brighter, and the more we got a black president, we got a lady president on the way, we got uh, gay rights, and we got marriage equality, and we got a, a pro, pro-choice pro on the rise, as all of that is bubbling up and up and up and up and up, 
there's the other people that are getting infuriated by this. They are losing their fucking minds that this is what the world's turning into. So that's going to bubble up. And that's going to bubble up. And it's all going to come to a head. And that's what's happening now. But I believe that when those two sides meet, we're going to win. What's right, we'll win. I'm not worried about Donald Trump. I'm not worried about internment camps. I'm worried about the fact that some people think there should be them. I'm worried about the fact that 87% of Trump supporters believe that Muslims should be banned. And... You know, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I think that we're going to beat them just like we beat them on slavery, just like we beat them on getting women to vote. There's just yeah. there's motherfuckers stuck in the past. And then we're going to pull Yeah, we're, we're not pull, going back. We're not going back. We're going to pull them over because we're right. And it's going to, I'm not worried about them. Fantastic. You've just given me hope for the future for us. Yes, that's my job. I got this Obama, this Obama coffee mug you gave me just staring me in the face. It's inspiring me. Isn't that beautiful? It's a good one. <laughs> Um, when did you become so, uh, fitness obsessed? Was that, did you ever have a, a drug and alcohol period? Um, or were you, were you doing sit-ups in like third grade and stuff? I, mean, you, I was doing sit-ups, I was doing sit-ups in third grade, but I was taking a hit of the joint at the top of the sit-up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I've always been into fitness. Like, uh, I was a personal, started being a personal trainer when I was 19 in college. That was like my college job. And then once I, you know was doing stand-up at night and personal training during the day because I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a day job for the life of me. And I graduated like with really good grades out of college. Uh, obviously, I got into the CIA, I got into law school. I had those options. But then I couldn't get a job like at a fucking deli because they're like, you don't have enough sandwich-making experience. Wow. Literally. You know what's funny? I can see you as a CIA agent. You seem like that kind of guy. I mean, maybe you'll end up playing a CIA agent a in a movie and television <laughs> and stuff, you know? Yeah, I gotta, I've written, I've written a pilot about it right now that I'm trying Because there's, there's something very heroic. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah, it's called 00711. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I like how it's come out, so we'll see if anything happens with it. But then, so I was, uh, I started personal training and I just really, I always loved fitness. You know, I did, I did sports my whole life and like Muay Thai and kickboxing and stuff like that and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and all that jazz. And, um, I still like train a little bit and I've always been really into fitness, but I always, I, I partied pretty hard in college and I mean, I've traveled around the world and, and done my share of substance abuse. You know, I've done, I've done ecstasy with the best of a man from Amsterdam to Barcelona <laughs> to Copenhagen, Thailand. Like, uh, uh, I definitely, I, I don't, I don't think like, I would never say like, just be a guy that just does drugs all the time. Like I'm not saying do drugs. I'm saying try drugs. <laughs> try them. <laughs> try them here and there. See how I like it. See what it makes you think about. Um, so, What's the greatest uh, revelation mm. or drop of enlightenment you got from drugs? The greatest drop of enlightenment was probably... Uh, man, I mean, one of the ones when I was uh, on acid uh, in the woods, because that's where you do it, Uh just the idea, and it sounds so cliche, but it's just so, when it's so real to you in that moment, it's not about the idea of it or the thought of it. It's about the reality of it and how the implications of that inform your decisions and what you want to do with your life, you know, when it's that real to you. Uh, just the idea that we are all really connected, that human beings all over the world, we are like one unit. And um, it sounds so trite just to say it, but like that if people are dealing with shit in other places, like that affects the world. And like what you put out, like your raw vibe, 
your energy, like what you bring to the table affects people around you. If you, like you said, I had a bright vibe about me earlier or something yeah. like that. You can feel it. We've all felt it. Even as someone who wants to act like they don't believe in this, this California hippie bullshit, dude, you know you've been in a room and somebody's come in with just bad vibes. Like yeah. you can just tell. You can feel it. It's awkward. Like that, that idea of the way we're able to affect each other in non-tangible ways and then what you do with that. And the idea that like your intention and your belief, your truest intention and being in, in, in touch with that core idea and making effort to resonate that with what you do can affect people. And with stand-up, it's very powerful. And you know that as a stand-up too. Like if you're doing material that you don't believe in anymore or you're fucking tired of and your heart's not in it, all of a sudden it's not really getting the same laughs. Yeah. And people say, oh, it's because you're doing it differently. And you're like, nah, I could watch the tape. The cadence was exactly the same. The way I did it was exactly the same. Why isn't he getting as many laughs anymore? Because it's not resonating from your core. There's not that honest intention behind it. And that comes with everything. Say what you believe and people feel that. And that's, that was a big revelation I've had from all that. And it's, it's helped me in day-to-day life and also with stand-up in a very drastic way. And just like being there, being present. You got a good vibe. And you are a good dude. Oh, thanks, man. The thing uh, I need to mention, we, I met you. I, you used to live in a little beach house in Venice Beach yeah. with Ahmed Ahmed. Yeah. And Ahmed invited me to stay out on one of my uh, visits mm-hmm. uh, to Los Angeles when I wasn't living anywhere. And that's how you and I became friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys were out there, you know, uh, doing kickboxing on the beach <laughs> and shit. And, uh, but you have this young guy, or you did, that you mentored... For what, mathematics? Uh, uh, I tutored, yeah, I had a kid that I tutored for like four years uh, over, I started in person, but then it ended up over Skype when I Yeah, moved. so I come in, the, I come in one yeah. day and you're talking to this young guy on Skype yeah. and you were mentoring him and I thought, wow, you know, what a, what a cool guy you are, <laughs> you know? And then, uh, you know, what a giving, I'm sure, you, you know, you, you got some money from his mom or something, but... Yeah. Uh, but it was but, nice. It was a cool. Yeah, I like him. Like he's like my yeah. He's like a little. He's like my little dude. What a beautiful <laughs> thing to do. He's great. Yeah, he just gra- he just had his high school graduation. Actually, it's crazy. And what were you tutoring him in? Uh, everything. Uh, I was good at school, <laughs> so like I would uh, I help him primarily with like math and stuff like that. But college essays when those came around, or analyzing literature, or American government, or history, or whatever, pretty much except sign language. I couldn't help him there, but. In general, whatever he needed, I could just open up the chapter and like learn it, you know, in like 15 minutes before I got on with him. And then like, all right, this is this is pre-calculus. <laughs> I thought that was a very beautiful telling thing about you. And yeah, you it, always it, cite that thing. Like that, I always realized that, that really resonated with you. That I, was I doing... saw that was such a, it says so much about you. And it would be so great if everybody in the world had their own Faraz Ozel to, oh, still. Uh, to, 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 to <laughs> reach out to on Skype. <laughs> hey, man, I'm not properly understanding this Shakespeare soliloquy. Can you, uh, <laughs> can you help me break this down? What's oh, the man. best advice you ever gave that kid? Because I asked you about it when it happened, and, and you were like, yeah, you know, and, you know, I also, like, you know, tell him. Yeah, I helped It wasn't him. just scholastic stuff. You, you know, you helped him get through the the bumpy period of, of puberty and the confusion that people have. Like, yeah. just telling him, you know, hey, man, don't worry. Things will get better. Yeah, and I, I definitely liked that aspect of it a lot, and I I valued that, and I took that seriously, you know, because he, like, um, his parents were divorced and stuff like that, and I, did not, I wasn't sure how great his relationship with his dad was or not, and I didn't really pry. 
but it didn't, it seemed like it wasn't, you know, could have been better. Um, so stuff about like, if he was dealing with girl problems, he would like mention it softly, like teenagers do, you know, like he doesn't want to open up too much. Oh, sorry, man. I'm just a little bummed today. It's not important. Just this thing, this girl. Anyway, what are we, what are we, what are we doing today? And like, well, what's going on with this girl? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, I gave him lady advice and this and that, but I think one of the big pieces of advice I gave him was just to like set your own expectations of what you want, of what you're worth. Because coming from, coming from my background, our, my parents were always like, you can do anything. You are brilliant. You will do. My dad was always like, do what you love and be awesome at it. My mom was like, be a doctor. You can be a doctor. You'd be the best doctor. <laughs> You'd be the best engineer doctor. I used to have this joke that I do in like the, like you said, jokes for like the brown communities. It was like, <laughs> uh, like, you know, Pakistani parents, moms love you so much. They think you can do anything, right? But they have their idea of what they want you to do too. They'll always be like, you can be anything in the world. You could be anything you want. You could be a cardiologist. You could be an ophthalmologist. You could be a brain surgeon. You could be a neurosurgeon. You could be a pediatrician. Anything in the world. You could be an anesthesiologist. You're like, mom, those are all the same thing. <laughs> you know? Like, so it's like doctor, doctor. So like that was my bar that I was told that I was expected to reach. If I didn't have all A's, all A's, you're like, what is this? What is this B plus? What the fuck is this B doing on your report card? You know what I mean? And I, they never even punished me, but they just kind of gave me a talking to of like like why would you have this on your report card like you're so much better than this and that and that made me just that just set my standard of like okay yeah i don't get b's like i get a's you know and then but for this kid i felt like he didn't have that it was very much and a lot of people don't i think they're they don't have the expectation of like it was like okay you got b's just no d's no c's and i just was trying to get through his head like don't don't put your expectations or what you're worth in shaped upon what other people think your best is because I know your best. Like he was a really smart kid. He was really, really smart, but he just was a little lazy and he was like, um, you know, like any kid. And he just wasn't like the most geared towards getting all A's, but he was very, very intelligent, very like old soul kind of kid, very mature for his age. And I just wanted him like so badly to be like the best because like I knew he could, you know, and I would just try to tell him, you know, Nobody, you, I'm gonna tutor is gonna be a failure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? You're, you're making me sick. <laughs> Shit. No, so I would just tell him, like, dude, like, you're, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, like, you, like, it sounds corny, but, like, you work beyond what you think you're capable of. Go for it, man. Go, go, go get what you think you could get if you thought anything was possible for you. Because I knew that he didn't necessarily believe in his head, like, he wasn't a kind of kid that could. Oh, I could go to Stanford or something or like it, it wasn't that wasn't even in his, in his like frame of mind you know and then I just wanted him to set those goals and believe that's possible because then he could do it and that's just what I tried to get him to understand good work what is the best advice you've ever been given as a comedian one of the best pieces of advice I ever got that I think about all the time was from Brett Ernst you know Brett yeah He's one of my just favorite people um, I don't even think he knows how much I like him, <laughs> but he's just dope. Uh, anyway, Brett told me when I was like 21, which is like seven years ago, I did some show with him somewhere. And he was like, two things you need to know if you're going to be doing stand-up, dude, if you're serious about this. He's like, one, don't get any job that you're fully comfortable with. Because if you're fully comfortable with any job, you're not going to be hungry and you're not going to really go for this. This needs to be what your life is about. And two nothing is going to really happen for you before you're 30. <laughs> like nothing big is really going to happen for you before you're 30. So strap the fuck in because it's going to be a long haul. 
And that piece of advice has gotten me through so many times of just like, fuck, why am I getting this? Why don't I get, why did my Fallon tape get rejected? Or like, you know, like, damn it, why didn't I book this pilot? I was so close, I got to producer sessions. And I just said, fuck it, Brett said 30. <laughs> I got two more years of 28. Uh, but so that was really good. And then other than that, um, just all the stuff about just being completely honest uh, in this next phase I'm going through now, you know, I'm cutting my first album, audio audio CD. It's going to be available on Spotify and next time and all the Pandora and all that shit. Doing it uh, mid-July. Where are you going to record it? I'm going to be headlining the Seattle uh, Comedy Underground. Great. So I'll be there July 27th weekend. Uh, if, you're, <clears throat> if you're there in Seattle. Um, so after I cut that album, I'm really excited to just get, get the material out because all this next stuff is coming from like, just coming more from the core and like just trying to talk more, just really focusing on being vulnerable on stage and being honest and um, letting that be the first step and then the haha coming next which is before I was much more joke writing driven and now it's like okay I know how to write the jokes I know how to make the funny but now it's like let's just really dial into affecting people affect people with your comedy cool so if you have a half uh, white audience half brown audience do you think you'll mix up the brown show with the white show <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden I'm speaking I'm speaking Punjabi they're like this uh, what's happening <laughs> no we'd probably scare the hell out of them they'd be like what's this brown guy saying we don't understand there's a lot of them in here no it's just great to preserve your your thoughts and your jokes for posterity and mm -hmm. uh, and then all these outlets on the internet and yeah. serious XM satellite radio <sighs> yeah you know yeah get all that stuff out there so I mean those are both good what was your best piece of comedy advice you ever got tell them the joke show them the joke that don't just if you act out a joke it's yeah. a thousand times funnier um, and uh, don't be so hard on yourself you know it's a long uh, it's a long road and it's it's in it's for everyone to figure out in their own time mm -hmm. and uh, comedians uh, beat themselves up all the time you have a great set and you're like man that one joke didn't work yeah fuck I stumbled on that one part you know right. but you know you're on stage for half hour and everybody loved everything else There's... yeah everyone just skipped over that one little thing that you didn't think went optimally yeah well for us I am uh, honored to be your friend uh, it's gonna be great to watch your star rise I can't wait to see 00711 oh those will be that sounds be hilarious thing. thanks man and if Trump does become president and rounds up uh, the Muslims and puts them in camps yeah. I'm gonna find a way to break you out you just bring me some I'm just, gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just, gonna tunnel just we'll get you out of just, there just promise me just promise you'll bring me a burrito dude I mean I can handle I've lived in an attic before I can handle some shitty living stuff. you can be uh, I lived out you can of be my freak. yeah I lived out of my car bro I'm a comic but I need a fucking burrito dude Cal get someone with french fries extra guacamole I'll okay. be alright you know? I'll be lobbing them over the wall yeah there you go I'll use that arm dude <laughs> uh, other than that uh, I gotta if you what a can I plug some shit? Sure. Uh, and if you're in Seattle, man, go laugh heartily uh, at your and be on be on a recording forever. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. Go see Faraz in Seattle. Seattle, July 27th weekend, Comedy Underground. July early first week of July, I'm at Rooster Teeth Feathers in Sunnyvale, California. Um, I'll, I'm gonna do a lot of different things. You can find my stuff at ozelcomedy.com, O-Z-E-L comedy. I'm gonna be in at Cap City Comedy Club in Austin in July as well. And then uh, check out my podcast. Love to have you on too, Tom. So, I would love to do it, buddy. Uh, it's called Infodels. 
I-N-F-O-D-E-L-S, Infodels podcast. If you oh, like into that. Genius. Uh, in closing, is there any words of wisdom or advice that you have for the people of the earth? <laughs> I feel like I've been ranting and preaching my wisdom this entire time. They're probably like, we got this motherfucker's number. We get it. We get it, bro. Um, I guess just be honest. Try to live within congruency with your moral compass and try to push yourself to empathize with other people and their conditions and educate yourself on things when you find your first reaction being hate because you might find that there's more to it than you think and then come around to the love. And that's it. <laughs> I like it. And find a young guy to tutor over this guy. Find a young guy to tutor and also try mushrooms once in a while. <laughs> find your nearest desert. For spiritual purposes. For spiritual purposes. It might help you out. Fantastic. All right, my brother. Long may you run, Faraz. Thanks, buddy. Long may you run.